last week except me. So that's why you have me this morning. Uh, in fact, Pastor Jeremy is on vacation, and Pastors uh, Jeff and Chuck uh, were on mission trips, I think Butler, Pennsylvania, and also Chicago. Uh, so it, tr- it feels like the summer has finally arrived, and uh, everybody is out. Now, this morning, as mentioned previously, we are celebrating the translation of the Tata Bible. For the first time in the history of the Tata people, uh, the, the Bible has become available. The whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament in the heart language of the Tata people. And here it is. And uh, it's been a hard work over 200 years. And the Midland Free had been part of it for the last 20 plus years or so when we adopted the Tata people group. And so we are definitely a part of this, this particular milestone. And also, all the Bible societies that were involved in translating this Bible have signed this copy and gifted to the church. So it is ours, it's yours, so please feel free to come and take a look at this uh, if you would like. And But that is the complete Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Tata people. Now, our history here with the Tata people actually began back in 1994, that's 22 years ago, when we first began to support a missionary who was working there through the EFCA denomination. Three years later, we adopted them, officially adopted them as an unreached people group. There are about 6.6 million Tata people living in Tatarstan, which is a autonomous uh, province in the Russian Federation, and uh, we adopted them officially. And since then, we have invested people and financial resources for the evangelization of this unreached Muslim people group. Here are some examples. Some of you were there from the beginning. Some of us, like me, came after this people group was adopted. But here are some of the things that we have done over the years. We have supported four missionary families to work among the Tata people group. We have sent several short-term mission teams that involved participation by our elder board members, pastors, youth, worship art ministries, and others. Here in the United States, we have participated in several Tata consultations. That is bringing together other churches who have also adopted the Tata people group to pray and invest resources to evangelize this unreached people group. And including one that we hosted right here on our campus here in Midland. Midland Pre people provided over $100,000 for the construction of a church there called Biblical Free Church, building in the capital city of Ghassan. And its pastor, Pastor Valodia, visited Midland Free a few times and had even spoken here from the pulpit. And during this period, a few Midland Free families also chose to adopt children from Tatarstan. And we have had the privilege of seeing some of them grow up in this church. That's heavy investment on the part of the Midland Free. 
the completion of the Bible we are, which we are celebrating today is another milestone in that journey. It is a significant milestone, perhaps more significant than everything else. Because we are talking about God's word, the inspired, the error-free, authoritative, sufficient, and complete revelation of God becoming available to the Tata people in their heart language. Now the significance of this milestone is captured in a story recently told by a pastor in Tatarstan. Again, Tatarstan was under Soviet Union for over 50 years. And when it broke up, the Russian Federation came about and, and Tatarstan remained within the Russian Federation. And as a result of that Soviet Union occupation for, for over 50 years or so, which suppressed the Tatar language, their culture and their religion, most of the people also knew Russian language. So most of the Tatars, not all of them, but most of the Tatars also speak the Russian language. So this pastor tells a story that he had a friend that, uh, to whom he was reading the Bible in the Russian language. In particular, the parable of the prodigal son. And the friend listened quietly. And the story ended. And there was absolutely no reaction. Then he took the Tata Bible and read the same parable in the heart language of that person. And when it got to a part where the father was addressing his older son, my son, which is Ulam, U-L-Y-M in the Tata language, he was deeply moved and started crying. That's the power of providing the Bible in the heart language of the people. So in the sermon this morning, what I want to do is to examine this idea. What happens when God's word becomes available to a particular people group? And then I would like us to call to continue to pray for the Tata people. Because this is an important milestone. And it has great potential to, to create a movement of church multiplication within the Tata people, which we have been praying for over 24 years now. So this morning we have a treat. I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to Amos, the prophet Amos. It's an Old Testament minor prophet, chapter 8. And I'm going to use verses 11 through 14 as the text of the sermon. And if you are using the church Bible that is provided, which we call the Blue Bible, and you can turn to page 978. Amos chapter 8, verses 11 through 14, found on page 978 in the Blue Bible. So, in honor of God's word, would you please stand? And on this video, you are going to hear the passage read in the Tata language by one of its pastors. And then I will read it in English and then have you sit down and then we'll continue with the sermon. So here it is. Rabbis üzüne susap, kişiler 
bir dingiz bilen ikinci dingiz orasında, tünyak bilen künçuğuş orasında birgelenip yürürler. Lekin işite olmazlar onu. Emis chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God. When I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Bathsheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Now, these four verses describes what happened when there's a famine of God's word in a nation or among a people group. So it's a negative message, and I'm going to turn that into a positive message here today. The famine may occur for several reasons. First, God's word is not available at all. Because it has not been translated in the language of the people. Remember, in the Old Testament, only the Jewish people had God's word. No one else. It's a similar situation. So they cannot read for themselves. They cannot, and therefore, further, there is no one with the knowledge of it, such as missionaries, to tell them about it. That's total famine of God's word. Second, God's word is only scarcely available. That is, only a few books of the Bibles have been translated in the language of the people. Or only a handful of missionaries with the knowledge of God's word are available to tell them about it. As a result, the scope still remains limited. Third, God's word available in plenty. So are the missionaries eager to tell them about it. But the people would have nothing to do with it. They don't want to hear it. That too is a famine of God's word according to the Amos passage that we just read. And perhaps there are many more from anywhere from totally unavailable to being available in plenty and then partially available, people, people don't want to hear. All of those refer to famine of God's word. Think about what kind of famine that we have here in the United States. So for over a thousand years, the Tatar people have experienced these types of famines, one way or the other. Now that God's word has become available in their heart language, there is hope. That's what I want to talk about. There is hope. And what kind of hope is there 
So here's the first one. The first hope is that God's word would transform aimless wanderers to resolute travelers. Let me explain what I mean by that. So if you go to look at verse 12, for example, Amos chapter 8, verse 12, we read this. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. The key word here is wonder. It brings to mind an image of a drunkard who has difficulty walking straight. He is unsteady, sways and staggers as he moves. If he is really, really, really drunk, he hardly knows what he says or does. In his drunken state, he may get into fights and hurt or even kill others. We have seen this, right? For example, DUI, driving under the influence. It's a drunkard. Might be an example. Such actions can get him into trouble with the law and even into the jail. That's the kind of image that's captured there. They don't know what they're doing. They, they'll go, to, go from one place to another without hope, without aim. And, and, and they can walk straight, steady. They could hurt others. And all of those different things. And God, through his prophet Amos, says that people without his word aren't any different from people who are drunk. So take, for example, a very familiar story. Many of you have known this, perhaps. The Vadani tribe in Ecuador that killed the five American missionaries. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Pete Fleming, and Roger Udarian. Young missionaries in their 20s. Now this tribe was a violent tribe. Warring between tribes and revenge killings were rampant every day. Even within the tribe, one man would kill another man to gain another wife. Then God's word, which is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews chapter 4, 12, came into this tribe through Elizabeth Elliot, wife of Jim Elliot, who was martyred, and Rachel Saint, the sister of Nate Saint. And the people were transformed, including the tribal leader, Minkai, who led the killing of the five missionaries. In fact, later on, this, this tribal leader, Minkai, met face to face with Nate Saint's son, whom he had killed previously. Son's name is Steve. And sought his forgiveness. Further, this tribe made peace with previously enemy tribes. They went from one tribe to the next, to the next, to the next, and made peace with all of them. 
revenge killing stopped as they learned from God's word that human life must be valued because human beings were made in God's image. Suddenly, they had purpose for their present lives, hope regarding their eternal destiny, and resolve to live for Jesus all the days of their lives. And there you see, aimless wanderers have become resolute travelers on their journey toward heaven. That's what happens when God's word becomes available in the heart language of a people group. You know, as I, as I was writing this, I started crying because one of the things that I imagined was, can you imagine this? That the five martyred missionaries standing shoulder to shoulder with this tribal leader, Minkei, in heaven and worshiping God in his splendor. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Here are five missionaries who were killed, and here's a killer standing next to one another and praising God into eternity. In fact, for a biblical example, remember the apostle Paul, who used to be Saul, was responsible for stoning Stephen, one of the first martyrs in Christianity. Right now, the one who was killed and the one who killed are standing in the throne room and worshiping God together. I, I, I wonder what, what they say to each other when they see each other like that. That's the power of God's word. When it becomes available in the heart language of the people. So we need to pray for the Tata people. That aimless wanderers would become resolute travelers on their journey toward heaven. Another thing that happens when there's a famine of God's word is that cults, false religions, penetrate and prey on people and lead them to worship false gods and idols. Right? One commentary put it this way. The vacuum created by the famine of God's word does not remain unfilled. The curls press in eagerly to fill it. Not one, but in quantity. And we see that in verse 14. And this is happening to the Israelites. And verse 14 reads like this. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as our God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Bathsheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Notice in that verse, three different false gods are mentioned. These are gods of the three different nations that bordered Israel at the time. And you will see a map on, on the screen. And you will see that. And you see there's Jerusalem right there in the middle. I'm going to show you here. There's Jerusalem right there. And what does it say? To the north is Samaria. 
And that's the guilt of Samaria, referring to the God of the Samaritans, who is a false God with a small g, not a big g. And then the second God that is mentioned is Dan, Dan to the west. And then the Sheba to the south, referred to as the way of Bathsheba. Notice nothing is said about the east. And the reason is this. The border there is not a nation. But Jordan River. And the two seas. Sea of Galilee. And also the Dead Sea. So the false gods. Penetrate. And they fill the vacuum that is created. By the absence of. Of God's word. But in this particular case, what's happening is the cultic practices of these three nations have penetrated Israel so much so they are swearing by the God of Samaria, praising the God of Dan, and following the ways of the God of Bathsheba. Since the truth of God is the only fence against error, The truth of God is the only one that can protect us from the error. In its absence, people had no way to distinguish between truth and error. So they became easy targets for the cults, those who advocate false religions and false gods. Today, Something similar is happening in Tatarstan. Historically, Tatars, the Tatars are Sunni Muslims. But as their religion, language, and culture were suppressed during the Soviet era, they became secular and non-practicing. They remained Muslims in name only for 50-some years under the Soviet rule. However, since the fall of the Soviet Union in the early 1990s, Saudi Arabia, the richest Sunni Muslim nation in the world, has been pumping so much money into Tatarstan. Now, if you know anything about Islam and the the, the politics thereof, there are two large branches of Islam, the Shiites and the Sunni. And they are at war with each other. They are in conflict with each other. The largest Sunni nation is Saudi Arabia, and the, and the most influential, perhaps, the largest nation of the Shiite Muslim is Iran. And what they do is actually in competition with each other, they fund each other's religion everywhere. That's, that's one of the reasons, that's one of the ways in which the radical Islam surfaces. Saudi Arabia funded radical Islamic activity, or, or Iran funded radical Islamic activity, right? So Saudi, because these people are Tata people were historically Sunni Muslims, Saudi Arabia, ever since the Soviet Union fell, had been pumping money, billions and billions of dollars, such that, and here it is, over 1,500 new mosques have been built throughout Tatarstan since the fall of the Soviet Union. New, new. And again, remember that these people had become secular and non-practicing Muslims as a result of Saudi Arabia's in a pumping so much money into this nation 
there's a resurgence of Islamic activity. That should be concerning. You know why? Because of Islamic radicalism that we see today in the world. But God's word, which is now available in the heart language of the Tata people, can help turn things around. God's word, which as I have said, which is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, capable of piercing through the hearts and minds of people, and helping them discern between truth and error, should help the Tata people reject false religion of Islam and embrace Christianity. Now they have the tool that is needed to distinguish between truth and error and choose truth. So once prayed by cults, false religions, and other philosophies, now have the opportunity to become true worshippers of the one and only God. But there's one more that Amy talks about. The next generation or the younger generation that follows the present generation would have the opportunity to rise from death to life. The next generation has the opportunity to rise from death to life. I see that in verse 13. In that day, the lovely virgins, which refers to young women, and the young men shall faint for thirst. And then look at the second half of verse 14. That they refer, the word they refers back to young virgins or lovely virgins and young men. They shall fall and never rise again. When there's a famine of God's word, the older generation wanders aimlessly. Furthermore, without God's word to help them distinguish between truth and error, they themselves become prey to the cults and false religions. As a result, they have no truth to pass on to the generation that comes after them. And God's prophet Amy says, they, meaning the younger generation, shall fall and never rise again. However, when God's word becomes available in the heart language of the people, the older generation has the opportunity to get to know God and his will. They get to grow in their faith that they study and obey God's word. Using God's word, they get to discern truth from error and pass on the truth to the next generation, which in turn can pass it on to the generation after it and so on. As a result, future generations get the opportunity to live 
and not dying. Let me tell you the story from my own life. My great-grandparents were Hindus. My grandma had three sisters. I'm thinking one sister in particular. Somehow the word of God came into Sri Lanka. It transformed my grandma's life. And so from my grandma to my dad to me and to our daughters now, the faith has been transferred through four generations. One of grandma's sisters remained a Hindu. Four generations to this day, they remain Hindus. One generation, one genealogy had the opportunity to rise from death to life. And the other one remains dead. Now, this happens all over the world. For example, you know, the, the Wycliffe Bible Translators, one of the famous Bible translating organizations in the world, you know, they, they, they are beginning to get into this, but they, they, the translation work has not been done in, 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 in tribes or people groups that are below 100,000. Okay, so those are small enough, and therefore they don't have the resources yet, yet to go there. So what happens is there might be these neighboring tribes speaking different languages, but one gets the scriptures and they are transformed and, 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 and totally transformed. You know, violent cultures become peaceful cultures and the corruption disappears and killings, dis- and all of that happens. And there's next town over, they're still dead. That's the power of God's word. And having God's word in the heart language of the people. So it is a big deal that God's word has now become available in the heart language of the Tata people. That's why we are celebrating it today. But obviously, more work remains. Such as printing distributing, making people read, presenting the gospel, calling for repentance, helping them grow, helping them multiply, helping them pass on that faith to others. And all of that, all of that work still remains. Therefore, just as we have done for the past 24 years, we need to continue to pray for the Tata people. Again, in the bulletin this morning, you, you, you got an insert with some prayer points. Please use it to pray for the Tata people. Furthermore, if you are interested in receiving monthly prayer updates, we do put together monthly prayer updates. Please follow the instructions given on that same insert. You know, there was a time... The work among the Tata people was very, very difficult. Missionaries were kicked out. It's just cold in Russia. And people were not receptive. And our missions committee actually 
look to see if we should continue the Tata partnership or drop it all together and move on to something else. And the global missions team came to the conclusion we adopted this people group. Would we give up on children we adopt? We never will, would we? Regardless of how they behave, how difficult it is to raise them. In the same way, we are going to stay and stay there even when the times are tough until we see a movement where church multiplication takes place among the Tata people. And that's what we need to pray for. And when we get to heaven, you and I get to stand shoulder to shoulder with them in praising God in his splendor and into eternity. So that's a call for us as we celebrate this remarkable milestone in the life of the Tata people. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for the privilege that you have given us, Lord, to love this people and to come alongside of them over the many years. It is truly our privilege, Lord. And thank you for the leaders of this church who had the vision to adopt this people group. Sure enough, Lord, the work had been tough and sometimes we felt like giving up. But you have kept us with this people group. So give us this desire to pray for them, to care for them, to love them until your word takes firm hold in that people group and churches are planted and beginning to multiply. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.